You are listening to the Garden Party Radio Show on Vintage Radio, the very best in Americana blues, country, and folk music. Enjoy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's edition of The Garden Party. A little bit unusual this week. Normally I play the songs and I do the introductions and stuff like that, but this week I'm going to hand over to a documentary that I came across on YouTube. It's a fascinating series called Behind the Songs, and I didn't realise Laurie McKenna had done an hour's worth of chats with Mark Coughlin in America from his Behind the Songs series. And I just thought I'd share it with you. There's some amazing versions that she sings at the end, three acoustic versions of three of her most popular songs, which um, it's done by Zoom, so the quality isn't brilliant, but you just get an idea of the feel of the songs anyway. So a um, little bit different, as I say, it won't be me talking, it'll be Mark Cochran and Lonnie McKenna talking. Many thanks to Prudential Centre for letting me um, put this on air, and hopefully um, you'll enjoy it. I'll be back at the end of the show just to keep you informed that it's, um, it's over. <laughs> What else can I do? So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Lottie McKenna. Welcome back, everybody, to Grammy Museum Experience Prudential Center's Behind the Songs. This is our online chat and performance series with artists, songwriters, and producers discussing the stories and craft behind some of your favorite songs. I'm your host, Mark Conklin. I'm also the director of artist relations and programming at the museum. Our guest today is the multiple Grammy Award-winning singer and songwriter, Lori McKenna. She's not only an accomplished recording artist in her own right, but also one of the most sought after songwriters in Nashville, which is impressive considering she doesn't actually live in Nashville. Uh, her songs have been recorded by artists such as Lady Gaga, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Little Big Town, Carrie Underwood, Sarah Bareilles, and many more. Some of those songs we'll discuss today and her latest album, The Balladeer, which is out now everywhere you can consume music. We'll be chatting about a few of the songs from that project as well. And full disclosure, when I created this series, this is the guest that I wanted on most of all. This was the one that I wanted to, to finally have on, and, and here she is. So we're very excited to have Laurie McKenna today. Welcome to Behind the Songs. Thank you for having me. What a great introduction. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate that. Well, I, if it's true, you are my favorite songwriter. I will not, uh, I will not lie. Uh, oh, so happy to have you here. So sweet. Um, Thank you. During this time, the first thing I'd like to ask you about is, you know, we've been in this, this pandemic and quarantine and stuff. How has it been for you adjusting um, to, you know, writing, to keeping busy, launching an album, doing everything virtually? You know, how have you adjusted to that? How, how different has it been? I mean, it's, it's different because there's no travel. I haven't left my house very much. <laughs> but it's funny. I, get, I got used to it um, in, the, in the way that I sort of have a routine now of, you know, having coffee in the morning, watching some news, and then coming down to the studio and... Um, mostly Zoom writing or, you know, some sort of writing like this or interviewing. And, um, I've, it, you know, it's been um, a, a big adjustment for everybody, but my husband works for the gas company, so he's still been working every day. So there's still some strange normalcy in it for me as well. And also being able to do something I love so much, um, you know, with music, it's, um, I feel very blessed, you know, um, in this space because I know it's really, really hard for most people. Were you doing a lot of the, because we'll talk a little bit about your kind of back and forth between home in Massachusetts and Nashville, but were you doing the Zoom thing 
before that or that kind of Skype writing? Have you been doing a lot of that prior to this where you kind of prepared for it? I did a good, a good bit of it. Um, I wrote with Barry Dean a couple of weeks ago and when we, we hadn't seen each other in a while and when we got on, he, Barry was like, we've been doing this for years, <laughs> you know, cause we, we, I mean, we, we were doing it like eight years ago um, because I don't live in Nashville and so many of my co-writers are there. Um, I probably did a Skype or a FaceTime write maybe once or twice a month on average over the years. Um, but every day it, it's different, you know, and also the technologies kind of, we've all figured it out a little bit. Like right. there's like the, cause you can't talk over one another. You certainly can't play over. So there's right. like a lot of like hand movements. Now, <laughs> <you know? laughs> right. right. If you can't starts... interrupt each other in the room like you do. Yeah. <laughs> if someone starts tapping the table while you're playing, you're like, can you, Please stop yeah. that. It's not working. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Um, and then releasing the album. Um, did you have any, was there any decision of like, should we release this? Should we not release this? I know some people had, have been pushing things off. Was there any consideration for that? And if so, you know, why did you end up doing it at this point anyway? What made you decide to release it anyway? Right. Well, there there was a discussion about it, but honestly, it was a pretty quick discussion with my management about it because there's a couple of factors. We recorded this last October, like late October of, of 2019. And this was, you know, we were going to be waiting till July of this year anyway. And that's a good for me, like a good little chunk of time <laughs> as far as writing all the time. And, um, and I get, I get a little, not, I don't get sick of the songs, but it's like, you write more songs and then you're like, oh, oh I want to record this one now, you know? So um, I, I just thought even in back in the time where we thought this would be wrapped up much sooner than it appears it will be now. Um, I still thought, oh, if I wait till next spring, you know, I might be over these songs. I might be in a different headspace, not knowing really how much this moment in time is probably going to change all of our headspaces anyway, just with the world. So, um, it just, I just didn't want to wait. I just wanted to, um, get it out there. And I do miss the touring and, and I miss, I miss like discovering these songs with my band because I didn't record with my band. I recorded with Dave's band who I, Dave Cobb's band, who's, I love them to death. And, um, and they've been my studio guys for the last three records, but, um, but discovering them with my live band is a different, journey and it's um and they sort of evolve that way in front of an audience a song a song evolves it just does it changes um and so i miss that i actually even miss like press going to new york and doing press and all this. i didn't think i would miss that stuff but where you're just running around like a lunatic but um but i got over it you know and this has been a great way to communicate with people and you know that's, that's why i appreciate this so much well, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the first song I was going to talk about was the Balladeer, which is the title track of the of the album. Um, you've done this this the third album you've done with Dave Cobb, is mm -hmm. that right? Right. Um, so, how did you end up getting? I was curious. How did you end up getting involved with him, and and how did he eventually choose him as a producer and he you as an artist? How did that collaboration come together? That came through Beth Laird um, when I moved. Um, I moved publishing houses from universal to creative nation a few years back and and with that switch beth also um was going to take the role of management for me and and has been my manager since then 
and we had an early meeting. I've known Beth for years and, and love her and always have loved her, loved her energy and the way she sort of thinks outside the box sometimes on these really creative things. And um, we had an early meeting and she said, "Who, you know, if you could have anybody be, you know, produce your next record, who would it be? And I said, I said, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. And she said, what about Dave Cobb? And I'm like, he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> like, that, surely that can't happen. He has no idea who I am. And, um, and so she's like, well, let's call him. So she called and our called his management, you know, and, um, and she made all that happen. The minute I met him, he reminds me, I have four brothers and he reminds me of like, one of my brothers and so I felt like I was with family like the minute I met him and and I've just been very comfortable like I love the process that he that he creates I love I mean mostly the biggest thing with me and Dave Cobb is I I just trust him I trust him when he says we got it like I I just always have and um and it the trust has served me well because I you know I've I've been more become more comfortable in the studio because of it yeah, it really shows. And um, interesting to balladeer. Now, that's different in the sense that it's kind of like in the old school, it's a verse verse uh, style song instead of the verse chorus. Um, so, you know, it's just great. Like the balladeer, that's kind of the idea of telling this story. What was the kind of process for you for that? Like, where did this character come from that 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 ends up in this song and becomes the title track? Yeah, I mean, I didn't think of her before I sat down to write it. I had the, obviously saw the title. I saw it somewhere. I've seen that word, you know, a million times. And I just thought, oh, this is really interesting. It's sort of what I am. I'm sort of a balladeer. I love ballads. I always, <laughs> my friends are always making fun of me. That's all I know how to write is ballads. But, um, but she showed up really quickly, you know, as far as like, writing a character driven song i i saw her really because probably because i bumped into her a million times over the years but um i i just saw her really quickly and i i stayed with the whole verse idea of not having a chorus because of the fact that um it's it's such an old word so it did you know i did sort of want that folky um you know just repetitiveness of the verse and when i brought it to dave i was like there's no chorus in this song <laughs> don't try to make me make one because <laughs> it's not <laughs> happening um but i just fell in love with her kind of in developing her in the pro in the writing process of that song and i it's just a little gift when you get to like make up a person in your head <laughs> Now, uh, my favorite lines in there is that she brings her, uh, herself to her own knees. Um, is that, uh, I mean, is that the pain of writing these songs and kinds of things that you're, uh, you know, is there a little bit of that for you in there that you oh, recognize? For sure. That you, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's like, I can make myself cry before I even know what I'm doing sometimes. And then I'm like, oh, I really can't mess this up because I'm getting emotional and I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> right. That's how you just, know it's good. It's so, but it's so self-indulgent and I kind of love it about her. Like if nobody else gets her, she gets herself. <laughs> Right. And of course, tragedy befalls her. And uh, but as is always with songwriters, you you get another song out of it. That's kind of how this yeah how the trade I really works. I right? did love the arc of the story about just it just fell that way, and just the fact that she there there was no way that she couldn't be brokenhearted again somewhere in there. But she ultimately gets back to you know where she started, um, which is her true self, but you know with a little a little bit more knowledge you know <laughs> right um i i was wondering the 
so the 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 production of it the, these multiple lead vocal takes so the the double and triple tracking and things that kind of old school it almost feels like it's you know the whole song feels like it could be something more like a glenn campbell thing from the 60s or something like that was the was the I was so curious when I listened to it. Was that a happy accident or did you, did you guys actually go in and say, we're going to layer these vocals or did you just do a bunch of takes and they just sounded so good together? You thought like, well, maybe we'll, we'll stick with that in the end. That was, I don't know when he thought of it, but that was Dave, Dave's idea. And we, you know, he, we track everything live with the band and, you know, we're all of, all of us in the same room with the drummer, you know, across in his little glass room. Um, and we ran it through a couple of times when we got the take, that we liked, Dave said, just sit there and sing it again. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, just sing, just listen back and just sing it. And I think, you know, maybe like there was like something else fixed along the way or another guitar part that he did added and we just ran it down again and I sang it. And it's like, so not, I don't know how, I mean, I'm not very good at that. And it's like, I'm so all over the place. He's like, no, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> and then when we sent, Kristen Rogers does the background singing on that song. And because the background singer is such a part in the song, you know, I mean, how often she said, how often does a background singer even get mentioned in a song? <laughs> so she, to me, she just brought it to life. But when I went back, I didn't, um, I didn't play this one. Um, so I just sat there and sang it and Dave played the acoustic and then added the electrics, but he changed the chord progression. The way I wrote it, it's just the same chord progression the entire time. And he changes it to those minors and the D sevens and all the weird things. I don't even know what they are. I literally had to have my guitar player teach me how to play it. <laughs> um, Learn your own I, didn't, songs. I didn't know what he was doing. I'm like, what has he done? I can never play this song again. But I actually, thankfully, Marcarelli taught me and I figured it out. But, um, but the, just the, it just had to grow because it, because he had such little movement to go with and the, where the song I delivered to him, you know, they just added so much to it and that movement. And there's the, even just in a couple of verses, it's just one chord that changes, but it makes all the difference. And then when Kristen came in, it was just like, it, it, it just, that background part brings so much, so much of a visual to me of that song. It's, it's my favorite production on the right. record and i am a, a fan of dave cobb's production <laughs> yes I, that sounds great um th another song that was also released as a, as a single was good fight um mm -hmm. that i was going to ask you about now uh, you know you write a lot about um family and relationships and certainly and so i'm wondering you know how much of that is um it's not always real life there's there's fiction there's things based on it but when you're writing these relationship songs, how much of that, like, do you have to go tell your husband, oh, by the way, I've, yeah, this is going to be another one. Like, how does that work in your, in your, in your world? How does that dynamic work? Well, that, that song, it did, I did start it at home, but I wrote it with Liz Rose and Hillary Lindsay. And I think we all sort of found each other, ourselves in that song in the way that you've had those moments where it just seems so tough, but the other, you get to the other side of it and you're in a better place because of it. And, um, when I played it for Gene, my husband, um, I played it and I always, I always seem to play songs for him in the living, in the dining room. Cause I sit there a lot and I just end up writing songs there a lot. And he comes home from the work every day. And the first thing he does is he goes right to the dining room and he takes off his like work boots, you know, <laughs> and every, all the keys and the wall and everything end up on the dining room table. And he kind of like, just like, 
you know, takes all the armor off. And, um, and I played him that song after it was written. And he, when I got to the whole, um, you know, and your knee touches mine and I can't help but smile. He was like, he just, you know, was like, yep, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> but um, he's really good. He's a very, very, very um, patient man with my songs. And he doesn't love to come to shows because he doesn't really want to be like sort of analyzed. Like, is that about that guy? But he knows how my brain works and how, and he knows that there's, there's, there's rules. You have to rhyme. You can't bore people too much, you know, right. with just you. And so he knows that, that things have to move around, but he's, he's really a trooper when it comes to that stuff. But he did see himself a little bit in there, I think. <laughs> um, when you make an album like this, are you, do you have a kind of a thematic thing in your head ahead of time or because you write so much, are you just finding the songs that you feel are the best for you and then kind of seeing which ones put together? Like what's your, do you know ahead of time you're going to make an album or is it like now I have enough songs and I should make an album? How does that kind of work for you? Well, the way it's been working the last few times is every, it's kind of been like every other year, you know, I've made a record. So I, I guess I kind of had that in the back of my head and I don't try to think about it too much because I don't want it to, you know, like sort of complicate just writing, just trying to write good songs. And um, when I, when we get to the point where, okay, we'll schedule out some time let's start thinking about songs, let's start pulling. I'll go way back if I have to. I didn't go as far back this time for some reason, but I just need, really I pick the songs because I know I'm gonna have to play them every night. And I want to pick the ones that I know I'm going to want to play every night. It's kind of like the selfish way. But I mean, on this record, like every record to me has an anchor. Like every record has like the two or three songs that I know that if, if they let me keep doing this forever, those are the ones that will still want to make their way into a set. And um, for this record, it was When You're My Age was, was my anchor, even though... I loved the balladeer as the title. You know, it's like the last record, the anchor was People Get Old, which is the worst title ever. And you can't call a record that. <laughs> so <laughs> when the tree was written, it was like, oh, that's a great title. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so. uh, do you uh, do you ever have challenges with, you know, am I going to save this song for myself or is this a song that we should be pitching to an artist um you know how does that work especially with your co-writers if you're writing that yourself it's a little bit different but when you have co-writers you have to consider that so how much of that you know consideration goes into it as well yeah i mean there's a for me i just want every song pitched i mean if i if, the, if someone thinks it's good enough for someone else to hear i'm like Let, let's do it um but if there's especially if there's co-writers involved and you and you don't want to step on anyone's toes on it and that song is you know when you're my age i wrote with liz and was Rose and Hillary Lindsay and it's it's our song you know what I mean so we did pitch that song that song um has been out there I actually think it's on hold for an artist right now but I usually don't get in the way especially those big artists I don't get in the way of the bigger artists I'm usually it's a country artist and not an Americana artist and and a lot of times timing has worked out for me where um where if like Little Big Town's gonna cut a song, for example, like they cut Sober, which I wrote with Liz and Hillary as well. And then I did record it for Massachusetts, but I, you know, if I just didn't, it just didn't work out for timing wise. But like then when I went back to cut Happy People, which Little Big Town cut, 
I just called Karen and I was like, Hey, you cool. Like, <laughs> people. And she's like, yeah, we're cool. You know, and they were both, they were both singles, you know, for little big town. If the song, if the artist says it's going to be a single, you have to be really like, I just want to make sure everybody involved is okay with my version of the song. And, um, and I did call Liz and Hillary about when you're my age. And it was just, it, it's such a, it, that song is so much all of our hearts that I just wanted to make sure that they were, you know, they weren't going to ever think for a minute we missed an opportunity. And they were both really great about it and just said, Hey, we want the world to hear the song too. So if it's a smaller world, right. <laughs> when you sing it, that's okay. <laughs> it's <Right>. still out there. <laughs> and now that's Liz Rose and Hillary Lindsay. Now you write an awful lot with them and mm -hmm. you have a name uh, for the, yeah. your, the love junkies. Is the <laughs> We named ourselves. I don't we know why, ourselves. but we did. <laughs> <laughs> who, who came up with the name of us? Do you remember how that how that unfolded? I don't. No, we were writing sober. That was the first time, the, the first song that the three of us wrote together was, was sober. And um, I actually think I may have been out of the room at the moment. We did, we were kidding originally and just saying, oh, we should, we knew right away. We had all written like I had written with Hillary, Liz had written with, like, we, but we had never like hunkered down together, the three of us before that day. And um, right away, we knew we wanted to do it all the time. And we're, um, and we were kidding and saying we should name ourselves. <laughs> so it really started out as a joke. It was really a joke that just stuck. And it's so much easier to write the love junkies across the top of the page <laughs> as me as the secretary of the group. It's so much easier than writing all three of our names. <laughs> well, you, you end up being the one that's, that's, do you have good handwriting or is that, or is it just? No, I have terrible no. handwriting, but I'm good with the computer. But <laughs> yeah. also the, Liz and Hillary don't have to write anything down. They just remember. They remember interesting crazy. <laughs> interesting well that's good someone's got to do it and it's not mm -hmm. it's not a bad room to do it in um <laughs> <laughs> let's go back a little bit the, the first time i remember hearing a song uh it was stealing kisses with faith hill and i i i do recall this and i remember thinking because at the time i was kind of flying back and forth to nashville and i heard this song and i thought man that's such an interesting different song and i was like is, is this what like they're cranking ads on a music row, you know, and I had to go look it up and I saw this one name, you know, Laurie McKenna. And I thought that's really interesting. And um, I think it's fascinating. Like, how does that come to be that here you are, you're Laurie McKenna and you're singer songwriter from Massachusetts. And this song ends up being recorded by Faith Hill and kind of, you know, probably changes, well, certainly changes the course and the direction of your career and your life. How did that end up happening? What was the the, the story behind it? So the, the, the reason that that happened is because of my angel on earth, Mary Gaucher. Because <laughs> Mary Gaucher and I came up together in the Boston community of singer-songwriters. And Mary was always a couple of steps ahead of me. And um, Mary moved to Nashville. And that same year that she moved, I put out a record called Bitter Town. And Stealing Kisses was on that record. And she gave, Mary Gaucher gave the record to Melanie Howard who's a publisher in town and Melanie played that song for Missy Gallimore and Missy Gallimore was finding songs for Faith Hill as, as she had done for years. And um, so Missy just took a liking to it and thought, this is a weird song. <laughs> I don't know if she thought it was a weird song, but she thought it sounded different. It didn't sound like a Nashville song and it, it, it wasn't, but she played it for Faith and Faith just, um, you know, and we ended up, she ended up seeing herself in 
my music. And I think that, um, of course, what a blessing all that was, but I think that that speaks to just music in general and how we can, um, we can really find the parts of ourselves that are so similar more than we can find anything else sometimes. And so it was really that it was those women. It was Mary, <laughs> Mary Gaucher to Melanie Howard to Missy Gallimore to Faith Hill. And then I, I just got a phone call. Melanie called me. She's like, can I pitch your songs around town? And I was like, yes, please. I had no idea how it worked. And, um, and then Faith ended up cutting, you know, like three songs from that record. And then you ended up on tour, I think, yeah. with, with both of them when they were doing that, um, the tour where they were out together mm-hmm. um, for like I think it was that. a first Soul to Soul or I don't know how yeah. many Soul to Souls there were, but <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, I got a record deal and yeah. And, and, I, and more than anything, I got a friendship with, with Faith and, um, and Tim and they've just been in my corner ever since. And um, I got a publishing deal. I got to, I got like a, a contract that says I get to write songs every day. <laughs> it's like to take home and be like, yo, I got a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing, because the story was, it was kind of like, you know, this soccer mom who's like writing these songs. I mean, but you were all ready. It's not like you were not, you were doing shows and you were, you had, yeah. you know, you were doing your thing. Um, but it, this was, you know, it was a good story, certainly, but you were mm-hmm. still ra- kind of raising your kids and, doing your thing and then this Nashville thing had, had you ever was Nashville ever on your radar like did you know much about it or was it really came out of left field like it you know it was never kind of something you were thinking about pursuing or, or commuting or doing any of that stuff I just didn't know how to do it Mary was one of the only people that I knew that had had made their way down to Nashville and like I said she was always a few steps ahead of me um, I think I think some other people had gone, certainly done, like that I knew in my community of musicians had gone and played shows down there. I played the Bluebird once. I still don't even know how I got that gig, like to play a show at the Bluebird. Like somebody's agent must have somehow got me a gig down there. And so I had been to Nashville one time, but I didn't know the process and I didn't know, you know, that you were supposed to sit in publisher's office and sing them your best three songs and see if they, you know, see if they, if any of it speaks to them. But I knew that um, that it would be a great thing for me if I could figure out how to make it happen. I just did not have any clue how to do it. I um, I used to have people come up to me and say, you know, you should write songs for the Dixie Chicks. <laughs> and it's like, well, <laughs> if you know how to do that, then let me know because I don't know how that works. I really lucked out. I just lucked out, you know. I was just so lucky. Did you um- – you never made the move to Nashville. I mean, you you still was there was there a consideration for you guys, or mm-hmm. or is it just not something that was kind of on the table? Well, you know when so when I made Bitter Town, that record that Faith heard, that it came out in May tenth, um, two thousand four, and my son David came out May thirteenth, two thousand and four. So I was just like that. He's my youngest. He's our fifth child. So I was literally just breastfeeding all summer when all this stuff was taking place. Like, and and all this magic happened. And my point is, I always just had kids in different grades. My husband works for the gas company. He's been there all these years. My father's right down the street. My mother-in-law's right down the street. And I just never. It was never like even. We talked about it sometimes, but it was never going to work for anybody but me to move to Nashville. And I certainly wasn't going to let my family suffer for my music. It just was 
wasn't interesting to me at all to sort of take that course. Um, a couple of my kids now live in Nashville and you know, we, we have a condo down there that we just bought, but it's like, it so it makes it easier now, but I still think we're just still so grounded up here in new England with our families that, um, I just got used to taking planes. <laughs> how, how I was curious how often, like twice a month, what, what is your, what, Usually under twice. normal circumstances, twice a month. Right, um, yeah. um, your characters in, in the songs are so much, um, you know, it's very real in the sense that you can feel like these are places that you've come from and that you, you know, that you live in. Um, and it's funny about that is because country songs have, you know, for at least a number of years have become so much about, um, about the South, about, you know, rural areas. There's not a lot of like suburban middle class, um, <laughs> you know, in country songs, not a lot of trailer hitches, I guess, in, in um, different parts. But uh, for you, I mean, is it surprising you that that those stories connect um, or is it, you know, is it the universal universality of it? I mean, how has that been kind of fitting into that, to the Nashville mold when you're not necessarily writing the things that are kind of, you know, that everybody expects maybe that you're going to be writing? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that um, at, at years ago when I first, because before this publishing thing happened with me, with Mary Gaucher and Faith Hill, I had never co-written a song before then. So I got the publishing deal and I started taking trips down to Nashville and I learned how to co-write from like Mark D. Sanders and Liz Rose. And um, we just talked about this, but Brandy Clark, you know, was an early uh, co-writer of mine. Um, but they, especially Mark D. And, and Liz, they taught me how to co-write songs and how to and I that's when I first started realizing oh the some of the language I use isn't the same language that these guys use like it's very like there's that different um way of even just saying purse like I always said pocketbook I gotta know it was called the purse you know like just it, it was just so interesting to me in the beginning how different that language was and um and I think it's some years into co-writing I, I I figured out how to how to meet it kind of halfway but not hope not overdo either side you know where, where you can like sort of meet in the middle and the language is maybe unique sometimes but maybe the cliche is the same but the language is different or maybe the language is the same but the cliche is different i don't know but it's like there's there is a, a an interesting way to make those two two things happen and i think for me it happened mostly via co-writing which i have loved i mean i just love i still write alone a lot but i i just love bringing a song to somebody or having somebody share a song with me that i think i can help them with or you know or finding each other in that when you write by yourself um how what's the like i mean you can write it you co-write you could write a song in four to six hours it might be done um but when you're by yourself you know it can be a different process how what's the difference for you as far as like how much time do you pour over things that you do you do you finish tend to finish things like in a day or do you write them over the course of weeks what's your normal process I, de I definitely tend to finish them in the day in a day um but it's usually a longer day and there's usually like laundry and cooking dinner involved in this somewhere but also I, I do better with solo writing now if i have the title or the idea in my head for days before and i sort of just walk around with it 
or I'll pick at it. A lot of times I end up with recordings on my phone and then I go back to them um, and they're just for me to remember the title or something, but they're actually terrible. And, you know, and then I, and then I won't go back or listen at all because that melody was totally wrong. And I had to, you know, like sort of like pull the title apart in my head a few, a few times, but other songs like Humble and Kind, I, I didn't think of it until I sat down that morning. And then, you know, 10 hours later, I was probably done with well, it. Well, great segue. Cause that's what I was going to ask you about was <laughs> Humble and Kind. We were talking about um, Faith Hill and of course, Tim McGraw. So Humble and Kind, tell us a little bit about that and how that came to be and then how you ended up getting it to, to Tim. Yeah, so I was sitting, this was when um, my oldest was 25 and the youngest was 10, um, our kids. And so they were all over the place, you know, um, in school. There was still a bunch of them in school. And I took the kids to school and I came back and um, I sat at that dining room table that I was telling you my husband leaves all his clothes on. (laughs) (laughs) And... um, and I just was sitting there thinking about the things that I knew that I wanted to tell the kids and I knew that my husband would want to tell the kids and how they never listen, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I'll, like, like I would travel and I'd leave notes all over the house, like, put the dishes in the dishwasher and I'll come home and they'll be like all on the counter. I'm like, did you see my note? And they're like, no, was there a note? So really like, t- but honestly, I thought, I'll just write it down. I'll just, I'm just going to sit here and write it down. And I did sit in that same spot and just looked out my front window and and wrote it all down and Gene um my husband came home that day I played I sat there and I I played it for him and he just he just sat in his chair and stared at the floor and I sang it in my iPhone which I normally do and that recording of the iPhone emailed it to Tim McGraw also emailed it to my publisher who at the time was Whitney Williams at Universal and um and Travis Gordon was taking care of me at Universal too and so they worked their way you know what I mean about it and they're like there's something about this song and I kind of need encouragement in the in the beginning because I don't know the song yet like I haven't been able to play in front of an audience Gene's the only one that's heard it you know (laughs) and he likes my kids too so I don't know like you know (laughs) is this any good and I didn't hear back I think from Tim for a little bit and then I saw him somewhere and he said oh no oh yeah we're cutting that song and I was like oh, oh okay <laughs> so I I sent it to him but all the publishers were also sending it to again Missy Gallimore who's another one of my angels on this planet um so yeah it just came I think from both those angles and um and thankfully you know I think of it as such a simple song and Tim saw it in such a bigger way and um you know thankfully he did well, I was going to say, was that, is it a surprise? Like you're thinking, I write this little, it's almost like a prayer. You know, I write this little yeah. song and then it turns into it's the Grammys and it's Europe. <laughs> on, you know, I mean, like that's not, I mean, do you, do you, do you not, is it surprise you too? Is it like, why well, yeah. can't even, yeah. That one surprised me a lot because the video was done very early on of that song. Like, you you know, sometimes it takes a long time for a video to be made, but I talked to him and he said, you know, we reached out to Oprah and we're going to use some of her footage from the belief series that she's working on. And when the video came through and I saw it, I was like, how is this possible? Like, how does somebody see the whole world in this song that I literally sat in my pajamas and wrote to my kids? And it's, 
it's a three chord progression. <laughs> Everything rhymes with the word kind. It's like kind of the easiest song. <laughs> and at the time I had still such young kids and, you know, adult kids. I want, I just wanted to make sure they each had a line. I was still in the, you know, as a, as an, as a parent, you repeat the same things over and over again, hold the door, I say, please say thank you. So I, I needed that elementary piece in it. And then I, I, you know what I mean? But other than that, it's just like this, you know, it's five kids. It's those five kids. And he just saw it in such a different, like a big way. And um, I always kid around saying, I should give, I should give Tim McGraw some publishing on that song. Ah, he doesn't need that. But I, I know, I don't give him any. <laughs> He's doing okay. He's all right. <laughs> um, I'm curious. What you do? You, you must read a lot. Do you read a lot? Of uh, or do you have time to? You don't. I, I read when I travel, or I listen to books when I travel. But I haven't been traveling, so I really ha I've read about a book and a half this whole time since we've been quarantined, and um, I'm, and it's there've been like not novels, which novels I I wish I was better at reading because of the language and just the flow of of writing in that way. But I um, I don't read enough for sure. When did you know, now, is this true, first of all, that your, your first song was about a rodeo? Is that it's the... Yeah, for real. Isn't story? that funny? My brother thought I was like reincarnated or something. He's like, where did this go from? <laughs> uh, is that when you knew you had kind of this gift for language and, and putting music to it? Like, wh when did you really start to kind of understand that, oh, I think I'm pretty good at this? Well, I always liked, I always wrote really bad poetry, like even since very, being very young. And um, I remember one time I had this poem uh, that I wrote down, that I that I made, I wrote, and then I wrote it like on, on this big piece of paper and I framed it and I put it in my room. And my grandfather came in one time and he read it. He's like, you didn't write that. And I said, yeah, I did. And he was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> it wasn't very long. It was only like three lines maybe. And, uh, and, but I must've, I don't remember how old I was, but I must've been really like really young. And, um, and he just thought I swiped it from something and not in a mean way, but he just thought, Oh, she's too young to do that. And it wasn't brilliant or anything. It was just my age. But my two of my brothers are songwriters. So I just followed form with them. You know what I mean? And I don't know where that rodeo came from. And my brother, like Richie, would still would like just laugh over that. Like we don't know. She never. I never listened to country music. I mean, Oklahoma was a bit. The musical was a big part of our lives growing up. So maybe that was it. But I just loved it. I didn't know. I I still don't know if I'm good at it. I still just like every you know every day just try to be better than I was yesterday but um but I'm lucky because I just love it and what were you what were you listening to back then like what were the who were the artists or the songwriters singer songwriters that were kind of mm -hmm. the first ones that that got you interested in all this yeah it was a singer songwriter because I had my brothers are older than me so I listened to what they listened to which is Neil Young and Je I always say in my house growing up it was like Jesus and James Taylor um but the James Taylor stuff I could never wrap my head around the guitar because the guitar is so he's so good i mean he's yeah. so good but um but the language i loved you know what i mean especially you know i was always was drawn to if i was smarter i would have just started listening to country music when i was really young but because i did always like those more country like the elton john country stuff and the you know i was really drawn to the singer songwriter um side of things the carol king 
you know, all that. I just would listen to what my brothers brought home. Springsteen? Was that a... a, a... Springsteen wasn't a big thing until my dad remarried when I was in seventh grade. And my stepmom's a huge Springsteen fan. And that's when I figured out Springsteen. It's <laughs> just... Um... The, the last song I wanted to ask you about was, was Girl Crush. And um, I'll tell you a story. I was, we were doing a, a camp, one of our summer camps for, for kids. It was a few years ago. And they, they would tell us ahead of time, like, what their favorite genre was. Um, and I had no country kids, not a, not a one in the whole group. But we were doing this exercise, this ghostwriting exercise, where we were writing new lyrics to an existing tune so they could learn how to kind of match it. And we picked Girl Crush as the, uh, as the song. And this is when I knew the song was having an impact because all these kids, and again, none of them were country kids at all, uh -huh. um, all singing this song flawlessly. Like they all knew this harmony and they're, you know, and stuff like that, doing it together. It was really a cool moment. But that's when I thought, oh, this song's a lot. I didn't even know how big it was. Um, I'm curious for you, like, was that a surprise for song as well? Or did you kind of, when you guys finished that, and that's, that's Liz and Hillary too, I believe. Exactly. Yeah. What, what were your, your thoughts when you finished that? Um, of where it was going we had zero thoughts it's so funny how you just have no idea like they're like kids in a way like you just have no idea what what they're gonna do or what lives they'll build for themselves but we wrote that song so Liz Rose Hillary Lindsay myself we're staying at Liz's house and we're on like a three-day you know love junkie session which is how we normally do it and um, Liz and I woke up at like 8 in the morning and at 11 in the morning, we have Karen Fairchild and Kimberly Schlappman from Little Big Town coming to write with us at 11. Um, Liz and I are making eggs. Hillary's still upstairs. And we're discussing what we're going to do for the day. Hillary comes down. I say, I want to write a song called Girl Crush. And she sang the first four lines of the song. Like She wasn't even you know, like we were, we were just still like there was like a paper plate with, you know, scrambled eggs on it in front of her still like you know what I mean it's like we, we had just woken up and um and she just started singing it and Liz didn't she you know earlier in the day when we were discussing titles Liz was like what does that mean and I said I don't know she's like I don't know it's like a hashtag thing like what's that gonna be I'm like oh it could be fun like I don't know like I had no idea never thought anything else of it about except the title but Hillary just found it and she didn't even know what she said after she said it and um liz has this like famous book that you this notebook that she writes when you're writing she's always scribbling in this notebook and she just whipped her notebook <laughs> like let's go so we wrote that in like an hour and a half that morning we weren't sure if it made sense because sometimes as you know like you're sitting there in the moment of the song it makes sense to you because once the idea came out of Hillary's face like we thought oh it could be this really good twisty jealousy thing this is so cool let's just follow the song by the grace of God as we followed the song we followed it and we didn't think like anybody's gonna cut this we didn't try to make a commercial we didn't try to do anything to it thankfully because when Karen and Kimberly showed up and they wanted to hear what we had been writing we played that and they immediately knew and Karen said you have to hold that song for us we had played it for one other person. We played it for Scott Ponce, who works with Liz, um, who's his, her son, Scott, is, is a publisher at her company. And we sent it to him and we said, does this make sense? And he's like, yeah, sure, it makes sense. So 
they they were the second and third people ever to hear it and they there was no demo there was just that work tape of hillary singing it in my iphone and that was it that worked out pretty well though it did <laughs> <laughs> well uh this has been um really fantastic we and we know you're actually everybody should stay tuned because you're going to play a few songs for us as well which is a great treat and we appreciate that too congratulations on all the success and the new album the balladeer which is fantastic um if everybody if you've not checked it out yet now would be a good time to go check it out it's out everywhere it's a great album very strong with dave cobb again laurie can't tell you enough this was a great thrill for us and we appreciate you being on behind the songs with us Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It was great to talk to you, Mark. I appreciate it so much. Anytime. And thank you, everybody, for watching. Um, stay tuned for the performance. Don't go anywhere. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Songs. Until then, we encourage you to make music and make a difference. We'll see you soon.
You know there's a line that glows by the front door Don't forget the keys under the mat The childhood stars always stay humble and kind Go to church cause your mama says to Visit grandpa every chance that you can It won't be waste of time Always stay humble and kind Hold the door, say please, say thank you Don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie I know you got mountains to climb But always stay humble and kind When those dreams are your dreaming come to you When the work you put in is realized Let yourself feel the pride But always stay humble and kind Don't expect a free ride from no one Hold the grudge or chip And here's why Bitterness keeps you Shut off the AC and roll the windows down And let the summer sun shine Always stay humble and kind And don't take for granted the love this life gives you When you get where you're going, turn right back around And help the next one in line Always stay Do you love Americana, blues, country and folk music? Well, you've come to the right place. The Garden Party, each week on Vintage Radio. When you're my age, I hope the world is kinder Than it seems to be right now 
how up the front page isn't just a reminder of how we keep letting each other down. When I was your age, things didn't seem to be this hard. Riding bikes out on the street, playing tag in the backyard.
there you go. Hope you've enjoyed that. And you will look into some of Laurie McKenna's songs. There's plenty of Spotify playlists with Laurie McKenna songs out there. Better still, buy a few of her albums. The Balladier, which came out last year, is just fantastic. I'm in the middle of playing it, an album called Bitter Town, which is just superb as well. So I'm still discovering her, as well as other Nashville songwriters, even though she actually comes from Massachusetts, but she does write a lot of songs for Nashville people. Right, I'll be back with just a normal programme next week, just lots and lots and lots of songs, and me on it as well. So until next week, take care, look after yourselves, and bye for now.